My daughter asked me a very provocative question the other day. My 10-year-old daughter, Emily, she asked me this. Does God ever speak to you? Does God ever speak to you? And I had to pause and think about this, right? And I replied, yes, God does speak to me. And like a typical 10-year-old kid, she said, how? And why? And so I had to really think about this, right? Because I don't hear God's like audible voice, okay? I, don't, I think most people, most followers of Jesus do not hear God's audible voice. It's like very few people in the world who have that privilege. But for me, I gave her the example of seeing the way God speaks to me when I'm visiting patients at the hospital as a chaplain. I might have mentioned this in the past, but I am a chaplain a couple days a week at uh, Adventist Health Hospital in Glendale, California. And it's been such a joy and a privilege to be able to serve um, people in this way. And a lot of them, uh, most of them actually, are not regular churchgoers, okay? A lot of them, but almost everyone believes in some sort of God or higher power, definitely in the spiritual world. But uh, most of them do not attend church or they're not regular members of a church, right? So I gave my daughter the example of like when I go and visit patients at the hospital. I kind of go through this routine, uh, almost like a script. When I enter into a patient's room, I knock on the door, I introduce myself, and I ask them for permission if I could come in. And they usually say yes. And I go in and I say, I'm a chaplain here at the hospital. We're here to support you with any kind of emotional or spiritual needs that you might have. How are you feeling today? And we do this little bit of small talk, okay? And uh, eventually I'll come around to the question of like family or some sort of like relational support question. Okay, who do you have here who can support you nearby? And then... Um, I ask deeper questions and most of it is just me listening. Most of my time when I'm visiting patients at the hospital is me listening to their story, uh, listening to their struggles and listening to their situation and what kind of background they're coming from. And as I'm listening to the patient, I am also uh, in my heart, in my spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to God through the Holy Spirit. And I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say to the patient. But uh, it's not in this like vacuum, okay? I'm still very much present with the patient and listening to their story, listening to whatever it is that they're telling me. And as I'm listening to this, I'm opening my heart, my spirit to the Holy, to the Holy Spirit, to God, to speak to me and through me. And I realize if it weren't for the Holy Spirit speaking through me, okay, if it were just up to me to say whatever clever or wise or pithy thing I can say to the patient, I would actually be a very bad chaplain. <laughs> okay, if, I, if it were up to my own devices um, and I was not relying on the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say and to... Um, to care for the patient in the way and the manner that God wants me to care for the patient, I would actually be a pretty bad 
chaplain. But in some amazing way, God is able to use me as long as I open myself and make myself available to God in that way. Um, and God is able to use me to do some good in the world. Okay, And especially in this intimate moment that I'm sharing with the patient in the hospital, the Holy Spirit is able to speak to me and through me and give, give me the words to say that could offer some peace, comfort, or even love to the patient, even if they're not Christian, even if they don't uh, consider themselves to be followers of God. This is exactly what the Pentecost is all about. This is exactly why God allowed the Pentecost to happen, why the Holy Spirit came into the world, first and foremost, in the early church, okay, through the apostles, the great apostles, the 12 apostles, but also through the many followers that Jesus had when they were uh, 50 days after Jesus was uh, crucified, buried, and then resurrected, okay? 50 days um, since Easter Sunday. Now, prior to Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection, Jesus even said to his disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Can you just imagine being one of Jesus' followers, okay? You follow Jesus for three years, all right? And you've witnessed him doing amazing miracles, giving profound messages, sermons, some of the grace, uh, greatest oratory uh, speeches ever given in the history of humankind. And you've seen him, you've even seen him like raise dead people back to life, okay? And yet Jesus is the one who says, you will do even greater things than these. But this is precisely what the followers of Christ were doing after Jesus left their presence. They have been performing miracles, healing the sick, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone, both Jews and non-Jews. They were doing exactly that Jesus prophesied over them. And not only were they doing the works that Jesus was doing, they are, were doing it at an exponential rate because there were more of them. There were many of them. Jesus, when he said they will, that, that you will do even greater works than these, what he was really talking about is that they were going to have all the same power that Jesus Christ had, uh, but it's going to be exponentially greater because there are going to be many of them. When Jesus was here on earth and he was ministering to like thousands of people, he was still limited to one place at one time. Okay, he, he took that upon that physical limitation as a human being because not only was he the son of God, he was the son of man. And so he willingly chose to be limited in that way, to be at one place at one time. But through his followers and through the work of the early church, uh, they had been doing all the same things that he was doing, but multiple fold, okay, exponentially, because there were many of them. Nobody on earth 
Jesus was not saying that they were greater than him, okay? Uh, what Jesus was saying, like, the works that they are going to do is going to have a greater impact in the world because there were many of them. There is no one who is greater than Jesus Christ. But if the same Spirit that dwelled in Jesus Christ dwells in his followers, then they can multiply and do greater things in the world, make a greater impact in the world. But in order for that to happen, Jesus had to leave. Jesus had to ascend so that this amazing spirit called the Holy Spirit, or um, in the original language, it's called the paraclete, had, can come down, okay? And this was the day of Pentecost, okay? This was the day of Pentecost. Now, what does Pentecost mean, okay? Pentecost is a Christian festival celebrated on the seventh Sunday after Easter commemorating the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus's followers. Now, this is the same day as the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, which is the day that commemorates God's giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites after Jesus had freed them from slavery in Egypt. And this was not by accident, okay? In many ways, this uh, represents something really powerful. The old way was about following the law, okay? Fo following the way of the law, okay? Like the Ten Commandments. But the new way is following the way of love, okay? Which is led by the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the Holy Spirit prompting us and speaking to us and moving us and behooving us to share words of love and to do acts of love. Now, I shared this um, brief synopsis, brief history of the church uh, from the early church period to now um, in uh, my sermon back in November of 2020, I think, uh, when I talked about, um, what was it, faith in color? Anyways, so if you want a more robust history of the church, um, you could go back and listen to that message from November of 2020. But at the risk of butchering <laughs> early church history and uh, offending my seminary <laughs> church history professors, I'm going to summarize this in just a couple of minutes, all right? The early church, which was from the period of like uh, after Jesus left, okay, so like um, 30, uh, 33 A.D., uh, to like three, the fourth century, the main goal, the main mission of the early church was love, okay, was love, okay, and I'm going to like summarize early church history into one word, okay, love. This idea, this goal of love, even though it is not that uncommon right now, uh, it was very weird in the first century, okay, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, okay, that was like the great commandment that Jesus summarized all of the Old Testament law. Um, that was a radical command, okay? Love was not something that was highly esteemed in the ancient world in the first, second, and third century, okay? What was more uh, valued was things like power or like hierarchy or social status. Love was really not the main drive or the main force motivating people in the ancient world. It is now for a lot of people because of the influence of Jesus Christ and the early church. 
But that was really radical back then when this was the main goal of the early church. And then uh, during the medieval period, during the medieval church uh, history, um, after uh, Constantine, who was the Roman emperor, he was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity and make Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, which was a big part of the world. Um, the main goal of the church then uh, was to lead, okay? Lead as many people to Christ as possible. And while Constantine's motives were, um, he had good intentions, uh, his real goal was to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth as it is in heaven. And he took this very, very literally, okay? And so he was utilizing his own kingdom, the Roman Empire, to transform and change and uh, dominate all other kingdoms and turn them all into Christian kingdoms. But the, there was a downfall to this, which was like he would often do this through force and power if necessary, if they didn't convert to Christianity uh, willingly, which oftentimes they did not. Okay? And so the goal of the church kind of shifted from love to lead. All right? Now, love was still there. Okay? It was still valued. Um, it was still you know, a value of theirs, but the main goal came, became to lead. All right? And then, um, fast forward a thousand years <laughs> uh, to the period of the uh, Reformed Church, the Reformation Church, all right, when the Catholic Church was kind of um, abusing its power uh, and, and trying to gain money um, through things like penance. Um, there were reformers like Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin, uh, who were really trying to push for, make a shift from having the centrality of the church to, to actually learning more about scripture. So the goal of the church, the, Ref the Reformation church, shifted from lead to learn. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, said this famous quote in Latin, which was sola scriptura, uh, scripture alone, okay? So he kind of elevated the status of scripture over the status of church. Before, the church was like the leading force in the Christian religion. And then after the Reform, uh, Reformation church, uh, scripture, the Bible, became uh, more authoritative than the church. Now, um, there, there, again, there were some good things and bad things that came out of this mentality. The good thing is, like, you know, people became uh, more aware of morality. Uh, they were able to educate themselves. They were able to learn what Scripture says, what God tells us directly through Scripture. The Scripture was translated to other uh, layman's terms, other uh, common languages like English and German and Spanish. Um, it was no longer restricted to Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, which was only... Uh, which only the clergy were able to read and understand at that time. But uh, a downside of this is that Christianity also became uh, more legalistic, okay? Um, and people became very uh, somewhat rigid, all right? Uh, became rigid. Taking this all the way back 
to the time of Jesus, all right? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. You could see this as um, summarizing church history in these three words. When Jesus said, I am the way, he was talking about leading others to Christ, okay? When he said, I am the truth, uh, he's talking about learning what it means, learning what it means to be a follower of Christ and learning directly from Jesus' example. And when he said, I am the life, he's talking about love, okay? He's talking about bringing love and being love to everyone and everywhere around us. All three are important, okay? All three are important. Love, uh, leading others to Christ, and learning about Christ. All, right? all three are important. Uh, we are called to lead people to Christ, okay? I'm, you know, uh, and, and pastors teach the Bible so that people can learn how to love God more and love their neighbors uh, more. And, uh, but most importantly, love is really our ultimate goal. It was the ultimate goal of the early church uh, after the Pentecost, and it is the goal of the church now, or it should be the goal of the church now. When religious leaders came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? Jesus summarized it in these two short sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the ultimate goal of the church. Now, when learning, okay, like I said, learn, learning is still an important goal, but when learning is made the priority over love, then Christianity becomes legalistic. It's strictly about right and wrong, and uh, rather than living in a way that is led by love. Likewise, when leading is made a priority over love, Christianity becomes domineering. God's commands become a form of control rather than wise words of guidance, okay? Wise words of love designed to show us the way. This can lead, when, when leading is made a priority of, over love, it can lead to unfortunate events like um, colonialism, okay? That's what happened, okay? When leading was made a priority over love. If we are trying to lead other people to Christ, but we don't love them, then we're going to do it by force and power, right? And so the only way that we can truly bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven is through love, okay? Love has to be the dominant force of our faith. Love is the reason why we are still here on earth. And it is the reason why God empowered the church through the Holy Spirit. Now, how does the Holy Spirit move in and through all of us? Okay, and well, if we look at this example found in uh, Acts chapter 2, which uh, we read earlier, uh, we see three ways that the Holy Spirit moves in and through the life of God's people. First, the Holy Spirit unites us 
to share life together. The Holy Spirit unites us to share life together. In the very first verse of today's passage in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when it said they were all together in one place, this was not only the 12 apostles, but it was also uh, some, if not all, of the 70 followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke, uh, which, who is the author of both the Gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts, okay, in his Gospel, he tells us that there were not only the 12 apostles who followed Jesus, there were 70, at least 70 followers who followed Jesus all throughout his ministry, right? And then there was a crowd, okay? And then there was a larger crowd, which was like hundreds of people. But uh, the main people who followed Jesus around were these 12 apostles and these 70 followers. Many of these 70 followers were women, okay? Many of these 70 followers uh, were women, okay? And it also says in verse 5 of today's passage that they were all staying in Jerusalem, many God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And this was a result of the Jewish diaspora, okay, because of constant domination and uh, invasion from other empires like the Persian Empire, Babylonian Empire, Assyrian Empire, and now in the first century, the Roman Empire. The Jews were constantly coming together and then scattered again, coming together and then scattered again. So Jewish people were scattered all over the ancient world, okay? And so they spoke all different languages. But ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit that brought all of these people, many of these people together, okay, uh, from different countries under one roof. And they were really sharing life together. And they were able to overlook some of the bad history that they had, some of the bad blood that was shared earlier, and they were able to come together for the sake of Christ and for the sake of love so that they can continue to share life together. Now, I, I shared in an, another message uh, in detail um, who the Holy Spirit is, okay? The Holy Spirit uh, existed for, since you know, as long as God has been around, okay? And um, I like to, many pastors and many like scholars are now, biblical scholars are giving the Holy Spirit or addressing the Holy Spirit by the pronoun of she, okay? One main reason is because the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in, um, is the word is ruach, ruach, okay? Which is a feminine word, okay? So in Genesis chapter 1, when it describes that the Spirit of God covered the waters, okay, it's using the word ruach, it's describing the Spirit of God as a she, okay? And uh, the word pneuma, uh, which is Greek, which is the Greek word for Holy Spirit, uh, is um, gender neutral, okay? It's not male or female, okay? So it could kind of go either way. And when we think about the Trinity, okay, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jesus Christ, the Son, okay, two of these uh, persons in the Holy Spirit are uh, designated as male, all right, God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, even God the Father is not really like 
father, okay? It's really like God the parent, but, you know, for, um, for the sake of argument, we're going to keep it as our, a father. So the Holy Spirit, I really don't think men should have a monopoly on the Trinity, okay? Um, and the Holy Spirit actually has more qualities of a female, of being this motherly, uh, caring, interce interceding presence in our lives who constantly guides us, okay? So within the Trinity, we see this holy family. God the Father, Holy Spirit, which is more like a mother, and Jesus Christ the Son, right? So we see this holy family represented in the Trinity. And even in that example, we see unity, okay? We see unity existing because even though they serve different functions and um, even though uh, they are kind of serve uh, and help us in different ways, they are still united in essence. So the Holy Spirit unites the people of God to share life together. Second, the Holy Spirit enables us to do good works. The Holy Spirit enables us to do good works. The Holy Spirit moves more powerfully when the people of God come together, united, and engage in God's doing, in God's work in the world. Followers of Christ, um, in today's passage, we see that the followers of Christ started speaking in different languages when the Spirit of God, like a violent wind, came into the room and, and entered into the, the spirits of Jesus' followers, okay? And this speaking of all these different languages, okay, it, it wasn't merely to show off the Holy Spirit's power. It really served an important purpose, which was to send them out into the world, all right? The Holy Spirit enables us to do good works, all right? And so if it weren't for this, okay, they would probably just be kind of insular and stay in the Middle East. But because the Holy Spirit was able to, to, uh, to come down and empower them to speak other language, enable them to speak other languages, they were able to go out into other parts of the world, okay, like Africa and Asia Minor and even parts of Europe, all right? Um, this, this probably would not have been possible or it would have taken way too long if they had to learn these things on their own, okay? And so... Um, these like uh, there were at least a hundred people in this place when the holy when the Pentecost came okay and and enabled them to speak in other languages and it, it actually served as purpose of doing the good work of God in the world and it says in uh, verses three and four they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if we were left to our own devices, most human beings um, are selfish and greedy and unsympathetic to others' needs. I know I am. If it weren't, up, if it weren't for God, uh, for, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit uh, speaking in and through me. Maybe once in a while we'll, help, we'll be moved to help others, but that's kind of few and far between. For most human beings, 
we are really selfish, greedy, and unsympathetic people. It is really the Holy Spirit that compels us to true altruism, one that desires to do good without a reward, an altruism that wants us to give without wanting anything in return, and an altruism that longs to care for others without reciprocation or recompense. Ironically, when we live our lives in this way, we become filled with joy. And that's the last thing that the Holy Spirit uh, enables us to do, okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit fills us with joy. This is why we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, just like uh, He came, just, sorry, just like she came into the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago at the Pentecost. In verse 13 of today's passage, it said, Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. <laughs> now, the reason why uh, they said this is for a couple of reasons. One was because they were speaking in all these different languages, and so it might have sounded like gibberish to other people who don't understand these other languages. All right? um, but another reason why they might have been saying this is because they were overcome with joy and they were filled with gladness. They were speaking in different languages, but they were also in very, very good spirits. The Pentecost was powerful, but it wasn't uncontrollable. The Pentecost was a new experience, okay? But it was still somewhat familiar, okay? There were people there who could understand some of these other languages that they were speaking. And the Pentecost will push you out of your comfort zone, okay? Like the Holy Spirit will push us out of our comfort zones, but it will still be in the area, the realm of our capability, okay? The Holy Spirit will give us the giftings and the words and the power to be able to do what she is compelling us to do. As I was thinking about this, okay, I was kind of thinking of my younger days as a young pastor, as a youth pastor. Uh, when I was a youth pastor at this like mega church in LA, and I worked with many volunteers uh, in the church. And I always had this uh, philosophy, which I still do, okay, I still hold on to this philosophy. Serving God should be life giving rather than life draining, okay? If we are serving God in the way that we are gifted or um, and, and in a way that uh, is um, like fitting for our strengths and um, in a way that uh, we are enabled, serving God and, and, and loving others uh, should be life-giving rather than life-draining, okay? If we're doing it correctly, uh, we should not experience burnout, okay? Um, this it really kind of says a lot about our faith. A lot of times people don't want to become Christian because they think it'll be a drag or they think it'll be boring or it, it'll be um, too restrictive, okay? And it won't allow them to live the kind of life that they want to live. But in fact, the opposite is true. Jesus came to give life to the fullest, 
Okay, being a follower of Christ is meant to give life to the fullest and not to take life away. Being a follower of Christ is meant to liberate you, not to restrict you. And being a follower of Christ is meant to live in love, not in fear. And so this is what it means to live a life kind of guided by the Pentecost, okay? Uh, as we kind of think about and meditate on what the Pentecost means for our lives, ultimately it's about welcoming the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that she can move in and through us to do good works, to share life together, and to be filled with joy. And that is my prayer for you. And that is my hope for you. And that is what God wants for all of us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit. May she enter our hearts and move in and through us and compel us to share life together, to do good works, and to live a life of joy. That was always your design, your intention for us. And so help us to live that out freely. For you want us to live life to its fullest, Lord. You desire for us to live in love, not in fear. And may we be led by the Holy Spirit, by her voice, by her presence, to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, and to love whom you want us to love. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed week.